This is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, in our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. It's a great day for clean water um, here on the Chesapeake Bay and all the rivers and streams that feed into it. And it's my great delight to have John Mueller, vice president of litigation for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, back with us today. And it's especially timely because just yesterday we... Uh, learned of a very favorable decision from the Third Circuit Court, federal court, the second highest court in the land. John, can you tell us a little bit about that decision? Well, I think as we talked about before, uh, the last time we spoke, Will, uh, we we mentioned the fact that there was uh, litigation out there uh, brought by the American Farm Bureau Federation and the National Association of Home Builders and some other agricultural lobbying groups challenging EPA's authority to issue what they call a total maximum daily load. Um, we refer to that uh, and the state plans to meet those goals as the, the blueprint, Chesapeake Bay blueprint. And um, so the, thir- the Farm Bureau lost before the Middle District of Pennsylvania in their first round of appeal in district court and they, they appealed that to the Third Circuit Court in Philadelphia. And we had filed briefs and had an argument back in uh, November of last year um, addressing the Farm Bureau's arguments uh, and basically taking the side of EPA and, and in support of the blueprint. And yesterday, the Third Circuit issued a very definitive ruling, 60 pages long, um, explaining how the Farm Bureau's arguments didn't pass muster and were, as the court put it, unpersuasive. Let's come back to the um, <clears throat> the decision and the, the court's ruling in just a second, but I've got to tell our listeners, John Mueller was part of the oral argument at the Third Circuit in Philadelphia. And while the other attorneys uh, on all sides were focusing in on matters of highly specific legal opinion, John used his time to do that legal argument, but also to start talking about the crabs and oysters and the men and women who make their livings off the Chesapeake Bay. And I was sitting in the audience, and I could see the three-judge panel immediately become more interested than they had been in the past. It was a brilliant move, John, and in fact, in the ruling, the 60-page ruling by the three-judge panel, they actually seem to be coming back to your points about how important clean water is for those who live in the borders, not only the Chesapeake downstream, but upstream as well, and the people who rely on them, not only for their livelihoods, but also for human health as well. So you did a great job, and the court certainly heard you and reflected your opinions in their in their decision. Well, well, thank you, Will. And it it, it was um, very interesting to see that the court. You know, we were interveners in the case, and EPA represented the United States, and it was its authority being challenged, and so they had the the, the primary role here. Um, but I think. Even EPA and the Justice Department lawyers who represented them recognized that uh, CBF and the environmental interveners had a very, uh, who we represented, had a very 
important role to play, which was to, to tell the story about the Bay, to tell the story about the history of, of fail, failure um, through prior Chesapeake Bay agreements to get the Bay off the impaired waters list and to explain to the court in, in human terms and real terms what that means uh, seemed to have resonated with the court because the, uh, Judge Ambrose, who wrote the opinion for the three-judge panel of the Third Circuit, um, spent a lot of time actually explaining that history and a lot of time explaining the impacts on the Bay and actually um, dismissed rather summarily the uh, Farm Bureau's argument that the Bay would be cleaned up voluntarily and we really don't need EPA to help us to do that. Um, the court said that defies common sense and the past. Uh, so it was uh, very reaffirming uh, to have uh, the court recognize our views on that that point. I'll, I'll never forget uh, the, the judge uh, sort of putting the legal proceedings aside and saying, now, Mr. Mueller, could you tell me how the crabs and oysters are doing in the Chesapeake Bay? I thought that was a wonderful moment in the in the proceedings. So let's let's just make sure uh, all of our listeners understand how this has come to be. The federal government through EPA and the states have entered into a partnership agreement to reduce nitrogen, phosphorus, and sediment pollution by specific amounts by 2025 with an interim deadline of 2017. And there have been a number of national lobbying associations, the Farm Bureau, the National Home Builders, the Fertilizer Institute, none of which are, are, are local organizations. These are national groups. They have sued EPA, and the Chesapeake Bay Foundation is a full defendant in the case, meaning they're suing us as well to try to stop this partnership from cleaning up our backyard. Is that, is that a basic layman's definition of what's going on here? Yes, that's exactly right, Will. That's uh, pretty much where the Farm Bureau has come from. And they have said publicly, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, you know, they, they see this as a, a much bigger threat um, to, to their institutions. Um, and, and that's why they've, they've gotten so involved in this and, and even said that they expect to take this all the way, which we assume to mean um, that the Supreme Court could be the next, next step for them. And so what, what they're challenging is the legal authority under the Clean Water Act for EPA to enter into such a partnership to, to require uh, this pollution reduction, which would uh, be for the purpose of reversing the agreed-upon water quality impairments in the main stem of the bay and, and many of the rivers and streams entering into it. And what the court has decided is that EPA absolutely has that authority. That's correct. That uh, Congress envisioned that there would be complex and, and, as the Third Circuit put it, large problems um, that federal agencies like EPA are designed to resolve and that EPA in this instance could work with the states to develop that plan and those limits on pollution of nitrogen, phosphorus, and sediment uh, from uh, all the major tributaries to the Bay within the six-state uh, watershed. And it's fascinating because even before this decision was rendered, 
there was an extraordinary editorial in the Richmond Times Dispatch uh, articulating grave concerns about Congressman Goodlatte, Virginia Congressman Goodlatte's attempt to weaken the EPA's authority through legislation in the House, United States House of Representatives, for the funding bill that's working its way through the House. So there are not only legal challenges to this total maximum daily load, the Chesapeake Clean Water Blueprint, but there are also political challenges. That's right. Uh, you know, there are, the, the Bay uh, Blueprint uh, is requiring a lot from, from everyone, and we're seeing pushback at a lot of different levels. Um, the national lobbying groups, some members of Congress, uh, local elected officials. But for the most part, I think it's important for us to say that, you know, the Farm Bureau didn't seek a stay which uh, of the TMDL, that it didn't ask the court to put everything on hold. And in fact, the states and local governments and private citizens uh, and industry have been doing quite a lot to try and attain um, the goals of the TMDL. Not enough in our view and not fast enough in our view, uh, but progress is being made. Uh, and so this decision from the Third Circuit uh, can only reaffirm um, the efforts made by these groups and, and, I guess, emphasize to the state partners how important it is for them to accelerate their efforts. So I, I want to come back to the progress that's being made and our concerns about that. But first, let's just... Uh, uh, dive in a little deeper to what the litigants, the, the 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 plaintiffs might have as a next possibility. That is appealed to the Supreme Court of the United States. What 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 would be involved with that, and what would the Supreme Court be looking for in terms of their decision as to whether to take this case or not? Right. Um, the first, uh, one of the options that the Farm Bureau has is to actually ask the entire Third Circuit to reconsider this decision. It was a three-judge panel. There are, I think, nine to 12 uh, different judges on the Third Circuit, and so they can ask for a rehearing on banc, which means the whole court. Um, it, it, they can decide to do that and later appeal if that's rejected, or they can just decide to go straight to the Supreme Court and ask uh, for the right to appeal. Um, it's not uh, automatically granted, and so the, the court actually has to review the decision of the Third Circuit and the arguments made by the Farm Bureau about why um, certiorari appeal should be granted. And um, what it's typically looking for are conflicts within uh, judicial circuits. Uh, this is the first decision of its kind with respect to such a large uh, TMDL or, or blueprint effort. Um, and so there is no real conflict out there. Um, they also take a look at the, the kind of the constitutional questions. Um, and here, one of the big constitutional questions that was raised by the case was that this uh, idea of cooperative federalism, that is, the federal government and the states working together uh, was the federal government uh, overreaching um, and exceeding its authority under the Constitution to require the states to actually attain these goals and to 
uh, write watershed implementation plans on how it's going to meet the goals. Um, the Third Circuit, I think, put that whole argument um, to bed, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when it looked at the Clean Water Act and the way it was written, uh, it found that the states and EPA were actually granted the authority to, to uh, work together to come to these goals. Uh, and that the, the TMDL or the Bay Blueprint is, in fact, uh, a guideline or informational tool on what levels of pollution reduction the states have to achieve and how quickly they have to do it. One of the um, interesting aspects of this blueprint, of the, of the TMDL and the state-federal partnership, is that they have to meet their long-term goals in two-year increments. So as opposed to prior agreements that said similar goals, we have a better idea this time of how the states are doing toward their first, their incremental goal in 2017 and their ultimate goal in 2025. From your vantage point, how are the states doing? Well, we believe that, that uh, some of the states are actually on target or on, on uh, course. Um, you know, we think uh, Maryland and Virginia are uh, making progress as they should, uh, not all the way there yet for the 2017 goals. Uh, but the biggest problem that we see is with Pennsylvania. Um, Pennsylvania is not on track, uh, it's pretty far off the mark, and it's um, really going to be a difficult lift for them to get to the 2017 goals. And so we are really asking the states as a collective body who've been a partnership for decades to insist that, that Pennsylvania attain those goals and that if it doesn't, that EPA actually exercise the authorities that it has under the Clean Water Act to make certain that EPA excuse me, that Pennsylvania uh, does um, live up to its, its obligations and commitments. I believe I've seen the number that the states and the federal government, the EPA, are now predicting that for nitrogen, one of the most important pollutants, is going that, they, that the overall uh, state partnership may fall 70% below the interim goal, and that much of that is due to Pennsylvania. So clearly, Pennsylvania's got a lot to do. What, what, uh, what is um, available to EPA to encourage, I say in quotes, Pennsylvania to accelerate their progress? Well, the Clean Water Act does give uh, EPA some tools and, and some of them the, the Farm Bureau didn't like uh, and was part of the litigation, at least at, at the first level before the district court, and that is uh, the denial of, of grant funding. So states are able to ask for federal funds to do clean water projects, and EPA has the authority to grant that funding or not. Um, and if it doesn't feel that the state is living up to its obligations, it can deny those, that funding, even though the obligation to reduce pollution is still there. So the state would have to find other sources of funding, such as increasing taxes. Um, another uh, option that EPA has is to more strictly regulate 
point sources. Those are sources of pollution that discharge through a pipe or a ditch or some other kind of man-made conveyance. Um, wastewater treatment plants fall into that category. They have done a lot to reduce their uh, nitrogen and phosphorus sediment pollution uh, by installing very expensive uh, water filtration equipment. Um, but uh, there still are new levels of technology out there that they could be asked to install at a very high price, uh, but that is one of the levers that EPA has. EPA also has oversight authority over point source permits, so those wastewater treatment plants, other forms of industry that discharge through a pipe have a permit to, to, to pollute. And EPA can say, we're not going to allow any more, any new permits for that kind of industry, um, which would probably be very difficult for economic development. But EPA has that authority. So, so what, what we're seeing here is that if the agricultural sector, especially in Pennsylvania, doesn't meet their levels of pollution reduction, and we should say that it's the least expensive way to get a pound of nitrogen, phosphorus, or sediment out of the out of the stream. If they don't step it up, then the only thing left will be for taxpayer-funded increased technology at sewage treatment plants. And the cost of that is a lot more expensive per pound of pollutant. That's right. Uh, EPA's authority there is, is quite clear. It's, it's always had that regardless of what action it takes under uh, the total maximum daily load. Well, John, thank you very much. I, I think we've really covered the legal arguments, but, you know, it, it seems to me that in this court's decision, what we see is, is not just a repudiation of those who are trying to derail clean water in the Chesapeake Bay, but really an acceptance and an acknowledgement of both the legal authority but the necessity for the states and the federal government in this mid-Atlantic region of the Chesapeake Bay watershed to work together to achieve clean water for all 17 million citizens and for the creatures that live in the water and depend on clean water. So. It's really a, a, an agreement and a, a support for the very mission of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Next week, I'm going to have an opportunity, or in two weeks, I'll have an opportunity to talk with Kim Coble, a vice president for policy at CBF, about an upcoming meeting of the Chesapeake Executive Council, which is the governors made up of the governors of all of the states in the watershed, the EPA administrator, and the mayor of Washington, D.C. And at that meeting, we hope the executive council will exert the kind of leadership that is necessary to get this program back on track. For our listeners who would like to weigh in and encourage that and to support uh, these efforts, uh, go to our website, cbf.org slash action. And there will be information there as to what you can do to help encourage our leaders uh, to do what's needed to help save the Bay. So, John Mueller, thank you very much. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. I'm Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. And listen to us again in two weeks 
for our ongoing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay.